to say that the podcast for your big questions get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago. Joining us this week is Jed Brewer, the director of Mission USA Productions. Hello. Also joining us all the way from Rutgers, Tennessee, one of the pastors at Christ Community Church, Lee Younger. Glenn. Your Glenn can't hear you now. Glenn. It's getting desperate in week two of a of a Glenless ship. We're all experiencing that moment in our in our own emotional way, and we don't judge how we process. I also like the idea of us uh, taking people's real questions and giving them fake answers. Their big questions, giving them fake answers. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, we've been we've done this one like over four hundred times. We're probably due to like give it a shot. <laughs> Just like. Oh, just like prescribing apothecary potions or something. Well, it's true that 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 and not many people probably know this, but that that Matt's brilliant idea for this show came from another show where people give very fake answers. Yeah, that's true. To advice questions, I ripped them off, but good or did an homage, as we say in the arts, a homage, a deed, a homage, indeed. Well, uh, we do have some great questions. We have uh, a lot of we're gonna have a lot of fun on the show this week. But we first must declare, and it's actually a good thing Lee brought that up because we started this show a long time ago. <laughs> Speaking of a long time ago, it's time to declare a retro emergency. Whoa! <laughs> That's right. Oh, we nice. actually have a retro emergency within an emergency this week. Um, okay. Uh, the the impetus for this idea was I my my lovely wife and I a couple weeks ago ha- had to venture out into the world to do some commerce, ah. uh, including in, here in the uh, the area around where we live a little bit outside of it. There's a, a very large outdoor mall where we had gone. We needed something at one of the stores, and we had to kind of wander through it. And there was a giant line outside one of the stores filled with uh, the young people, the teenagers, you know. And I looked up at the sign and was. Very surprised to find out that not only does Abercrombie and Fitch still exist, but it is once again popular with teenagers, apparently. Wow. That's, uh, I didn't see that one coming. Dang, that is surprising. So you're telling me that they're, they're once again into sweaters and abs. Yeah, Absolutely. I, I don't know if they can still put those images on the bags that they got away with in the 90s, but... Like you pull your sweater up and then there's just abs. <laughs> yeah, I assume there's still I assume the hot items, much like when I was in high school, are still uh massive cargo shorts for guys. And for women, those the strange like sweater robe things every girl wore when I was in high school. Sure. Like a Jedi yeah. robe that was yeah. knitted. That was I don't even know what the name for that was, but they were issued them to uh white girls in high school when we were that age, but <laughs> It's all back now. There's also the fragrance, indoor or outdoor, Ooh. if you're within about 30 feet of the entrance of an Abercrombie. And yeah. it's it's not even that it's bad exactly. It's just overpowering. Yeah, there's a lot of it. It coats the inside of your mouth. Yes. When you're, when you're still at the Williams-Sonoma. Yes. Yeah, just trying to, yeah. trying to live life like an adult, and now you smell like, like you went inside the Abercrombie. That's not good. Well, no. I, I feel like... Uh, this probably coincides with the fact that my uh, one of my teenage daughters just watched the entirety of Friends. Whoa, and that's like a lot. Two of TV. weekends, yeah. I don't know how she did it. A lot of clapping. What? <laughs> a lot of falling into a, a city fountain. Yes, a lot of all these things going on. But that gave me think. You know, they say that. Uh, Fashion and such things are on a cycle, kind of a 20 to 30 year cycle. And that means we're getting ready for a 90s revival Clearly. based on the, uh, the, the math of it there. Now, we, we do have further evidence of this because we had a correspondence from uh, official Scandinavian correspondent to the Say That podcast, our friend Jacob. Nice. And uh, he brought us two uh, wonderful observations, one of which... Um, is not related to this, but is related to a previous emergency about replacing being a neighbor with uh, doing it through the Postal Service. Okay. The United States Postal Service, obviously being a fine and august institution, started by Benjamin Franklin, that all right-thinking and patriotic people support. Clearly. Um, hey. So we thought we would, we would support that by, you know, if you didn't want to 
introduce yourself to your new neighbors. You would just send them a letter so you didn't have to do it in person. Uh, Jacob brings us a wonderful evolution on that, which is he, he wondered what the equivalent of a butt dial would be if that, if, you know, if instead of a phone call, it's writing. And it, his thought was maybe if you just sent someone an envelope, but there was nothing in it. Yes. <laughs> Where I maintain that instead of a butt dial, that would be the most incredible power move in the history of time. <laughs> if you just sent someone that you are a mild acquaintance of just a fully yeah. filled out envelope, your name, address, their name, address, stamp, the whole thing, and the inside is fully void. <laughs> wow. Just imagine yes. how happy you'd be if you sent someone that. Yes. So there's that. He also points out we had a, another recent emergency where um, the emergency was going to be that I was going to inform my co-hosts that there was a song by DC Talk in the early 90s called I Don't Want It that was about how abstinence is cool. Yeah. The emergency turned into that both Lee and Jed had heard of it and Jed knew many of the lyrics by heart. Yep. And that was much more also known a, as all the lyrics. Yes, that was yep. a much more real emergency in a lot of ways. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh Brother Jacob did one up him because I was able to inform my co-host before we started recording that there was another mid-90s abstinence is awesome anthem from the Christian media world. It was from a gentleman named uh Michael Sweet, who was in the band Striper with a Y. Yes. Christian metal band Striper. It is called Ain't No Safe Way. And it is exactly what you think. (laughs) It is about how uh, safe sex is not safe enough. So just be abstinence. Quote uh, sample lyrics Abstinence rules, playing is for fools, and who's holding out is the one who's cool. Uh-huh. So there's that. Based on the 30-year fashion cycle, we can uh, look forward to youth groups of kids um, in their Abercrombie sweaters, reeking of way too much cologne because they're 13 and no one has taught, him, taught them how to put cologne on yet, jamming out to what is going to be a new round of abstinence anthems, I guess. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a dark future for us all. But my question to you two gentlemen who lived through the original nineties, as we all did, is Mm. what else is coming back that maybe we could get out in front of? Oh, that's a good question. That's a good question. From the Christian world, I think that we're always kind of looking for the angle where we can make that sweet, sweet cash. You know that's true. And so I wonder as a as the creator of the Say That podcast, as a person who gives a lot of spiritual advice online. If Matt would want to get it out in front of this wave and just start creating the Matt King promise ring. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's, that's it right there. But a pro- but a promise to do what? This is another abstinence thing, Matt. Oh, I mean, we got a promise ring. We got a, yeah, this is a branded promise ring. The Matt King promise ring. We, we're bringing the 90s legalism back with a flair, with a rhyme, with, you know, it, it, I think, I just feel like it all works. I, I, it's a great idea, and it certainly rhymes, which is the most important thing when it comes to branding. I will be honest when I say I have doubts about my ability to sell it. <laughs> people be like, which is true, not that it's anyone's business, but people be like, you waited for marriage? And I'd be like, yeah, what was that like? Be like, hey, you know. <laughs> <laughs> some people do, and some don't. It's really not that it's, uh, you know, whatever. <laughs> Matt, we've got four houses full of promise rings. You've got to do better. <laughs> the Matt King promise ring, steeped in a guy that really doesn't know how he feels about it. <laughs> well, I think I may be able to build on this because Please. one of the things that existed in the Christian world in the 90s that I think can help us to move units was, of course, the arrival of VeggieTales. Oh, okay? yeah. Clearly. That, that, that was a 90s and after institution. So I suggest we got to, you know, it's a new generation, launch our own version. I'm suggesting just as a starting point, fruit myths, but specifically <laughs> with the leading character, Lawrence the Kumquat. Oh, and okay. here's. Wow. 
here's what I'm saying about about Lawrence the Kumquat is when he tells you that you need a Matt King promise ring, well, you, you we're done here. I mean, that's got some oomph. Exactly. Who could be a better salesman than Lawrence the Kumquat? I ask you. <laughs> I like this a lot. I'm also picturing a VeggieTales revival where our twist is they're all certified organic. <laughs> and all the uh the the video files cost three times more and you can only get them at whole foods yes but they are in 4k matt that's right holy foods is that something they all live at holy foods oh, oh that's, that's it, very dude. good certified organic children's entertainment oh very very good wow yeah, that's like uh it's what did they they used to say Sunday morning values, Saturday morning fun. Wow. But there's got to be some kind of uh twist you can make on that using the word bougie in some in some fashion. Yeah, I I think just the thing is we sound like Whole Foods enough that eventually because they just bought they're doing it all Amazon accidentally buys us out. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we position ourselves for that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, I I think, you know, one of the things, you know, that that people tend to enjoy are kind of, you know, the 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 bundled purchases, right? So, you know, you you get the subscription and that includes, you know, the new video content. You get your Matt King promise ring as sure. a part of it, you know. You you get your collection of, you know, it used to be silly songs with with Larry and obviously, you know, we we have our own version here, but this is this is a whole merchandising operation here, man. I mean, we've we've we own the future now. Oh, no doubt. The money's in the merch. Well, if the nineties is coming back though, I think the place where this lands is an actual brick and mortar uh Christian store where you can oh. purchase all your Christian equipment. Oh yeah. Okay, see this is interesting because there was and they have a couple here in Chicago. I don't know how it's doing with the pandemic. So there, there was a thing where kind of Amazon ate its own tail, where they opened brick and mortar locations. Okay. That have uh, they did some bookstores, but there's also some places here in uh, one of them's here in town, where it's basically like it's just kind of a grocery store with all Amazon stuff, and you just like sign in with your Prime at the door, and then there's no like checkouts or anything. Nice. Right. So I think yeah, something stuff that's gone all the way online, but our uh, switch is. We're going to do it in person. <laughs> you know how you guys all have your worship service online? Maybe the pandemic in this country, and Lord knows it's an option, goes on long enough. We can pitch. It's like virtual church, but in a building. And n- well, nice. People are like, whoa. Yeah, nice. the, the, look, the only problem is uh, I live in Tennessee, and all the freaking Christians are already meeting together without masks and everything. So, you know. Okay. Here we go. Counterpoint. Uh, uh, let me build on it. Uh, that's a great point, and let's let's go with that. You got church where you go, and you know people cough on you without their mask. But then, church prime. Oh yeah, free home delivered church. If you wow. sign up for our church prime package. Oh yeah, we show up at your doorstep and sing hill songs at you. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> or we just send the, the video files. You know, you're trying to prime, you get like free prime video, free access to our church video streaming service. Yeah, yeah. And of course, you get your free Matt King promise ring, your Larry the Kumquat uh, plushie. Please, Lawrence the Kumquat, Lawrence. which is legally distinct, the best kind of distinct. Friar Lawrence the Kumquat for <laughs> yes. our Catholic version because you got yes you gotta specialize and to bring it a little bit full circle another fine nineties institution is the Christian parody T shirt which in this case real thing that existed in the nineties a T shirt in the same script that says instead of Amber Crowley and Fitch a breadcrumb and fish oh Lord. Yeah, they sold a lot of those. Yeah, the the uh, this is a this is a dogleg rant, please. But I did see the I did see the tweet where somebody said, for the last one thousand nine hundred ninety nine years, Christians have been saying the church is not in a building. In two thousand twenty, they're like, just come to our building already, please, please don't give up on us. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, we we tried doing a part of church that isn't about 
people coming and seeing me be cute, and I don't care for it one bit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so that was a thing in the 90s, too, and um, maybe that'll make a comeback. Who knows? So we're going to move on, declare emergency off, but merchandising opportunity very much on. I'd like, I would like to say one thing, which is I'd love to see one thing come back from the 90s Please. for Matt on the bridge uh, on the bridge broadcast, which is I'd love Matt to have to use, not only specifically Matt, to have to use that really long, skinny Bob Barker microphone oh. from The Price is Right. Oh, that's very good. That's very, very good. On the bridge broadcast, just the, just the live cast, only Matt has to use it. That just like chopstick microphone of Bob Barker's. Yes. And also play a game of Plinko, because why not? It's, it's delightful. <laughs> That's right. It is delightful. I, I think that would bring an air of class to the whole operation, which is different from what I do now on the Bridge Livecast, which is really um, the opposite of bringing an air of class. <laughs> <laughs> Mostly I'm showing drawings that I've scribbled the email address on and yelling. So And wishing you were Tasha. Yeah. Don't we all? Well, so on that, uh, that segue opportunity, we will declare emergency off. Of course, if you'd like to uh, track my slow descent into madness via <laughs> uh, signs on my iPad and promotional videos, speaking of the 90s, I made one in the the style of an early 90s WWF promo. <laughs> and it's been up for a couple of weeks by the time you hear this. But here's what I'm going to ask you, the fine listening audience. I need you to go to facebook.com slash the bridge Chicago. I need you to go to the videos tab. I need you to find that video because uh, my wife had to hear from the other room me screaming fake wrestling names in an early 90s Vince McMahon voice all in one take. And I need a number of views that justifies that psychic <laughs> trauma. Also, Matt just really wants people to like it. Yeah, that one. You know, we put out a lot of contents here on the bridge page with all our stuff, and most of it's just on and gone. The fact that I totally knew the verbiage, bed music, and aesthetic <laughs> of a 1992 WWF pre-roll without having to look any of it up. Wow. Really me putting a part of myself out into the world. That I need, I really do need kind of calcified. Yeah, if you get to a place where you figure out how to do a bridge promo that's just like in an, just an Isaac Jaffe quotes, then we will be at the, or like a Simpsons role, we will have plumbed the depths of the Matt King psyche. Yeah, we're all going to be thankful that I can't draw or that Simpsons thing. Would have happened, but these are all ideas that are on one level an expression of my pandemic madness, certainly, but also to promote our weekly bridge livecast every Tuesday at seven thirty PM Central Time over Facebook.com slash the Bridge Chicago. We are certainly having a lot of fun and we hope you will come join us. We also hope you'll join us on Bridgebox, missionusa.com slash bridgebox. Have to sign up there to get some good, encouraging stuff into your inbox the first of every month and support the work we do around here. All right, we're going to move on to our first question here. If you hang on this all the way to the end, I'll use some ways to get in touch with this. The first question comes in anonymously and says, Sometimes I get so afraid of messing something in my life up that I just avoid it. I wouldn't ever think about my problems or share them with others. I guess I'm struggling with what failure would say about me. How do I move past that? And a very cool question. This is something we looked at uh, a couple weeks ago on our Bridgecast, but I wanted to bring that uh, to the podcast as well, because I think fear of failure is a very big and multifaceted thing. I think it has some spiritual elements we don't always look at. So, Lee, where would we start with this idea of a fear of failure? Yeah, I think this is a great question. I'm I'm, I'm glad that somebody had the courage to write it in. And so, whoever you are out there, thank you for ha- being bold and honest enough to write this in. I think that people are afraid of failure because we are in a world where it increasingly looks like other people don't fail. Um, We are more exposed to the daily inner workings of people's lives than anybody ever in the history of humanity. So people kind of display, um, here's what I did today, and here's why it was awesome. 
And now we have the ability to put a soundtrack to that, and we have ability to change the, the coloring of that, and we can filter it, and we can make it look amazing, we saturate it, and we can add text to it, and we can just make, here's my daily thing, and make it explode. This is why my life is so amazing. Basically, it looks like other people aren't failing. Now, here's the truth. Everyone fails. Everyone does. There is no version of the world where anybody gets it right every time. And um, as you've heard us say on this podcast before, uh, people, especially people on social media, who look like they're not ever failing, they are lying to you. Yep. They are people whose lives look bulletproof are lying. Um, my, my wife, who I, I, just, I just love this about her. She has this thing about her where she's like, I don't feel close to you until I, feel, until I see the chinks in your armor. And I absolutely love that. I don't feel like... She, her thing is, I don't really want to hang out with you until I see the places where you fail. And I think there's a really cool instinct to that. Um, every single person fails. Every single person fails a lot. And... One thing that we need to understand about failure is that your life, um, having failure in it doesn't mean that your life as a whole is a failure. The way that we need to frame this is that your life is full of little experiments. Not being perfect says zero about your personal worth. I'm going to say that again, and then I'm going to break it down. If you are not perfect... That says absolutely nothing about your personal worth. And the reason for that is that theologically, this is where I'm actually going to get around to answering Matt's question, your worth was determined by somebody else besides you and by an action that had absolutely nothing, that you had absolutely nothing to do with. Jesus paid for you with his own blood. Almighty God, in the form of God the Son, paid for you by his blood. That ends the debate. Your worth is forever sealed. You are the treasure. uh, You are the pearl of great price. You are the treasure for whom God gave everything to buy the field for. Like your worth has been sealed, determined. It's, It's forever beyond debate. Now, the cool thing is that if you can embrace that truth, you can start to feel your life as a series of experiments where things are being tested and things are being meted out. And you can see as your failures as moments where you learn something and um, successes are we tested something and got it right. Failures are we tested something and we learned something. And next time we're going to change a variable and we're going to try it again. All of life is learning and everybody fails plenty of times. If I can separate my personal worth from successes and failures, then I can learn from experiences. And that is a freedom that is, oh man, that is dear. And that is an exciting thing. When you can accept the truth of what your personal worth is because of what Jesus has done for you, then you can start to see successes and failures for what they are, which is opportunities to learn. That's a really, really excellent place to start this off. Jed, I think there's a lot of great stuff to pick up in there, one of which being the point that everybody fails is not even something we have to rely on the vast amount of experience we all have, because that is in the scripture, right? That's that's a truth that we find in the Bible. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. So Proverbs 24, 16 uh, says, though a righteous man falls seven times, he rises again. So Lee's exactly right. Dude, everybody fails. And, and not only that, uh, people fail repeatedly. They they have a tendency to fail over and over again. The key thing is not everybody gets back up. Not everybody tries again. There, there's a temptation for all of us as we're lying in the ditch to say, you know what? I should just make a life here. This th- this is my home now. I'll just. I've been in worse ditches. <laughs> Might have good schools. I don't know. <laughs> I'll be a ditch person from now on. <laughs> And uh, that's 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 no good. We don't we don't want to do that. And 
I'll give you one of the key reasons why we don't want to do that. And this is, this is really important is this has been my experience of life. Uh, I imagine my co-hosts share it. Misery is mandatory. Fun is optional. Yeah. The thing about, yeah, I don't want to try things. I'm afraid I might mess them up and I might fail. You are not going to get out of all the things in life that suck. You're still going to have to pay your taxes. You're still, your car's still going to break down. Uh, you're still, you know, uh, going to get a cold, you know. The, the things in life that are really no fun, those are going to happen no matter what you do. There is no getting around those. So kind of that sense of, I think one of the lies we believe is if I really play it safe, then, I, then I'll be safe and I, and I won't have to deal with the bad stuff. No, you're, you're going to deal with the bad stuff no matter what because there's no getting away from that. When we live a really closed off life, afraid of failing and therefore not trying, the thing we miss out on is all the fun. The thing we miss out on is all the cool stuff and, and all of the good stuff. And I want to pick up on something that Lee was saying, and his answer was awesome all the way through. And one of the things he was talking about is, is social media. And I've, I've had a, a, an interesting life, and so I've been around a fair amount of media stuff. And stuff where you end up looking really cool, that's not satisfying, and that's not the same as having fun. Mm. That's not the same as having an adventure. Let me break down what I mean, because I, I think it's really important to look at this. Having a picture that you can post online where you look totally awesome and totally amazing is not a satisfying thing. <laughs> it's, it's interesting for about 30 seconds, and then that's it. Um, fun stuff is fun, whether other people see it or not. Amen. That's actually how you know it's fun, is you can have a good time with it, whether anyone was ever aware that you did it or not. And you don't have to sell it to anybody. You don't have to sell it to anybody. It's fun just because it's fun, just because you enjoy it, just because you feel a sense of being alive and being vibrant when you do it. And um, we want that for you, and God wants that for you. And again, those are the things that we are in danger of missing out on when we get that fear of failure going. You will necessarily not do a great job with anything that is new to you. There's really not a way to be new at something and good at it. That the there's that wouldn't even make sense for that to work. If you're new at something, you're probably not going to be great at it. But when we when we push through it and when we get to the to the other side of being new at it, that's when we can start to have fun. That's when we can start to have a good time. And I would add one more thing to it, which is I think a lot of people wonder how do I find my purpose? How do I find the things that God has for me? How, how do I find, you know, the, the things that I ought to be doing with my life? And those are good questions that are they're worth asking. And I think that we have a way of being suspicious that the way that we will navigate those is by going to a desert and being by ourselves or by, you know, extreme prayer and fasting. And maybe that works for some people. But here's how I think you're going to find some of those answers is having fun. I think mm. as you learn to have fun, I think that's going to give you some clues to some of the things that God might have for you yeah. in your life. That's certainly been true in my life. I think it's been true in the lives of other people that I've known, that when we learn to relax and have fun and let our guard down and have a good time, it's a lot easier to, to begin to discern the answers to some of those big picture questions that we really care about. But all of that's on the chopping block if we feel afraid to fail at things. Again, as Lee said, and right, so Everybody fails at stuff, but not everybody tries again. Make up your mind for today to be a person who gets back up and tries again and takes a hold of that fun and good stuff yeah. that waits on the other side of trying. That is absolutely right. That is, that is all excellent, excellent stuff. And one important thing Jed points out there is that idea that uh, putting off the the decision to try because you might fail doesn't save you from the bad stuff in life. And it's definitely true in this case, because the theory behind that, which we're not judging because we've all tried is as long as I keep this in the theoretical and I've not actually succeeded or failed, I don't have to, to claim the failure. So that, that falls apart kind of on two fronts. One is which there's a lot of scenarios in life in which if you haven't succeeded, that's pretty much failure. You're going to say, well, if I don't apply for the job or ask her out or whatever, then I can't actually fail, but you don't have the job or the date or the raise. So you're kind of living <laughs> with the failure, but there's also the, the, just the psychological element of that. 
you're living the trauma of that failure without actually doing it. Yeah. When you're going that scenario yeah. in your mind and thinking about, well, it'd be so bad if I tried this in a, in a way your brain's not, your brain cannot really differentiate between emotions that are because of a real thing and emotions that are because of a made up thing. It's all just processing emotions in a lot of ways. So you're not saving yourself that problem. You're just kind of doubling down on it. And it really does come around to, and we talked about this on the bridge when I dealt with a similar topic. A lot of this comes down to narrative and what you're going to, going to tell yourself about a situation. And the scariest thing is when you may suspect way down that you are a loser who fails at everything and is destined to be a ditch person. And one kind of thing goes wrong. Then you have your, your narrative uh, that narrative reinforced to you. So you, it does, it is good to do some internal work on what the story you're telling yourself about yourself and, and the narrative where things are going. It's definitely good to get scripture involved in that, to get prayer involved in that. It's really good to get people around you who believe in you, who can reflect some things back to you about where you're going. Because when you change that thought, it takes us back to where Lee uh, brought us of if you're the overall story you believe about your life is this is all going somewhere. It's going somewhere good. God has got my back. People have my back. One little failure can't undo all of that in the way that if you you treat your future like a house of cards that may go over at any time, it doesn't take much to knock that down. And that's just not the truth. All right, we're going to move on to our next question here. It comes in anonymously, and it says, A friend sent me a link to a hashtag Save the Children event on Facebook. It turns out it was connected to the QAnon conspiracy theory. You guys have a lot of experience with nonprofit groups. How can I tell if something is legit? And before I throw to these guys, I I will do a little bit of background here. So uh, QAnon is a crazy right-wing conspiracy that uh, postulates that uh, uh, most major Democrats and liberals and Hollywood people are part of a uh, satanic cabal that... uh, uh, hurts children and meets in the basement of uh, pizza places around the country. And uh, this is an actual thing that is canon to QAnon that many of them have been secretly tried and executed by President Trump and have been replaced by body doubles, including among them Hillary Clinton, the entire cast of Friends, and beloved actor Tom Hanks. Again, actual things that QAnon uh, holds up. So, but a recent development, the reason we get this question is because wow. uh, those things are a little out there. And they started <laughs> getting some news coverage for their uh, beliefs being a little uh, wackadoo, to use the technical term. So there's been a new uh, theory, a new uh, kind of recruiting practice to get people to, to rallies and to sign up for things. And that's to brand it as hashtag save the children and make it seem like it is just a down the line uh, anti-human trafficking group because who could disagree with saving the children? And then once you sign up for the Facebook group or show up with protest or whatever, it all goes a little uh, haywire. So those are the specifics of this situation. Obviously this is not the only thing in which this happens. There are uh, lots of nonprofits and charities and all that stuff who purport to be doing something they are not. But uh, Lee, I'd love to get you started off here. You've had a lot of experience with a lot of uh, groups and nonprofit groups that run well. And uh, yeah. maybe a couple that are not that. So, if you if you got a call or a Facebook or something about an organization and you didn't know anything about it, what would you start looking for as both positive and negative indicators? Yeah, that's a really great question. I'm, I'm going to look at just some kind of practical things to be on the lookout for. Um, first of all, when you get a notification that this organization wants you to give right now. They have an urgent need. That is a huge red flag. Um, uh, organizations that are on the up and up are not going to pressure you in that way. Um, the urgent plea is an actual giveaway. So, so be on the lookout for something like that. There are also um, groups that will give you a – they will send you kind of a, a phishing message that's like, thank you for the donation that you sent. The idea on a – on a grift like that is they want to make you feel good about something that they're saying they're purporting that you did, uh, even though you didn't, but that, that kind of gratitude 
aimed at you makes you feel like, oh, I'm a good, this organization thinks I'm a good person. That feels good. Uh, that's something that I want to feel again. So I'll go ahead and give to this so that I'll get another message like this because that made me feel good inside my brain. And um, that that thing actually does feel good when somebody thanks you for being so charitable and so giving and so generous and stuff like that. So somebody thanking you for a donation that you did not give. Um, also, by the way, there are just uh, groups that watch dog fake scams. Uh, the, Better Biz- uh, the Better Business Bureau in the United States have, has a group called the Wise Giving Alliance. The uh, Internal Revenue Service has a database where you can check organizations that you'd like to give to. You want to make sure that an organization that you give to is clear and transparent about exactly how your donation will be used. The percentages of that donation that go towards the organization and go towards the thing that you're supposed to be supporting, that they can support that with documentation. Now, the other thing that I would say, and this is, this maybe feels tricky, but I would encourage you to lean into this, which is don't underestimate your personal instincts. Yeah. If a website gives you a weird feeling or doesn't pass the smell test, if something just feels hinky, don't give to that. Um, you can do um, some quick Google searches. You can take the organization that you've been sent a link to and then attach another word in a Google search like um, scam or integrity or just other kinds of things like that and just see what comes up. I will tell you this. Um, uh, if you are looking for a place to give your money <laughs> as a believer in Jesus, um, for, place, uh, for, uh, for people who will serve needy um, and uh, who will do outreach, who will care about those who are in need, there are lots of organizations. And by the way, and, and I can say this as, uh, as one of the podcast members who is not part of this organization, I will say it freely and loud. Christy and I have given our money every single month to, um, to Mission USA for almost 20 years at this point. And we are thankful for this organization. We are thankful to partner with their ministry. They feed the poor. They house the homeless. They feed the hungry. They visit prisoners. They out, they reach out with the, the message of the love of Jesus to like every continent on this globe where there is an internet connection. And it is one of the best things that we do with our money every single month. We are thankful to partner with these people. They have become our dear friends. They have become our spiritual family. And if you're looking for a place to give where you will be uh, checking the boxes of Matthew chapter 25, may I suggest that you begin with Mission USA and, uh, and Bridgebox and the Bridge Chicago. Um, that's all I'm going to say on that. But those are some, some practical places to, to, to start. And, um, and also, don't underestimate your own instincts. That's all great points. Uh, one of them was particularly great. See if you can guess which one <laughs> I think it was. Uh, all, all really, really excellent stuff there. And Jed, I think Lee got just all over um, vetting something that wants, somebody wants to take your money. Um, and there's similar principles, but maybe a slightly different thing. And this is happening a lot now. There are also organizations and groups that want your attention yeah, and want your voice. And there are some perfectly legitimate. We're going through a huge... Uh, era kind of all over the world, but certainly in the United States of uh, protest and this idea of come out to this thing or sign this petition or click on this group and, and join in your voice in this. And a lot of the same vetting and a lot of the same filters you would attach to something with your money, you want to do with that as well, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. It, it actually, it, weirdly, in the spirit of our emergency and throwbacks, so um, I worked in the tech sector during kind of the the one of the many dot-com bubbles. And so um, I've been in a, a lot of meetings where people are asking for both money and references. So a similar thing where we either want to be funded or we we want you to help spread the word about what we're doing, right? And the interesting thing is in that moment when people are asking for that, 
people that know how to deal with those situations are not afraid to ask tough questions, and they do. And the people who are there trying to get either the money or the tension expect to be asked tough questions. Um, in fact, it's a really bad sign if someone asks a tough question and you are bothered by that or you are yeah. offended by that. That's a really bad sign because you, you should expect tough questions. Now, again, that's not the same as being rude. That's not the same as being disrespectful. But if people want a resource from you, whether it is your money or your time or your voice, it is actually – if you're interested, I mean you don't owe anybody anything, but it, if you think that you might be interested and if you're exploring the possibility, uh, ask tough questions. And if the person that you are interfacing with can't answer them, say, who else can I talk to? But ask tough questions. Uh, some really, really straightforward ones include, I hear that you want to save the children and I appreciate that. Who are you actually materially giving aid to? That's right. Who is receiving help? Like, in what way are you saving children? Are you saving them by giving them something to eat? Are you saving them by giving them a place to sleep at night? In what way are you materially saving the children? Who are you partnering with as you are saving the children? Also, who are these children that you are saving? Where are you finding these children? What demographics do these children fall into? Okay. The the more questions that, that you can ask, here, here's what you're going to find, is basically you've got uh, probably three categories of, of groups. One category are people who are basically doing the things that they claim to be doing and will more or less have good answers to most of the questions that you can, that you can ask. So that's great. That's, that should give us confidence. That's a, a really, really good thing. The second category are people who, well, we're not doing a lot today, but we intend to in the future. And yeah. here's, here's what we plan to do. And that's fine. That's, that's not like an inherently bad thing. The truth is a lot of nonprofits are on that where they're, they're, they're presenting to you about things they hope to do in the future. And, you know, with your generous support, we could do these things. But it's, it's good for you to know that that's what this is, is people who are hoping to do something as opposed to currently doing something. But the last thing that you, that you may find, and we hope it's the minority of what you encounter, are people who um, aren't actually doing at all the things that they claim to be doing. And maybe don't have a plan to be doing the things that they're doing. And uh, maybe this is really just a weird thing that I don't want to be a part of. And again, I think you're going to find that if you're asking pointed questions, that's going to reveal itself pretty quickly. Um, th there's a few reasons for that. But um, most people, if you can dig it, are, are actually bad liars. Mo <laughs> most people yeah. are. Um, yeah. And given that, most people get really uncomfortable when you ask them a question that they really don't have a good answer to. Um, and if you ask a couple of those in a row, most people will get combative or just leave. Yeah. Um, you know, there, there are people out there who are just pathological, but there, there's not as many of them running around as you might think. So if you think you might be interested, ask those tough questions and, and insist on an answer that you actually feel good about. One more bonus thing. You are under no obligation because of how good sounding the pitch is to do anything. This is really important. One of the things that goes on in the nonprofit world is a sense of if our pitch is good enough, you're not allowed to be cynical. You're not allowed to demand answers because we're trying to save the children, guys. Don't you understand <laughs> that? There's children and they need saving, okay? No. There is no pitch that's so dramatic and so wonderful that you can't insist on getting good answers to your questions before you're willing to be a part of it, whether through your finances or your name or your time and attention. Ask those tough questions. Get real answers. Absolutely. That, that is all excellent stuff from these guys. Uh, to speak a little more to the exact situation, our question asker came up because this is a less organized thing that may be a 501c3 or something uh, that has, you know, this idea, but all these things still apply. You want to ask questions. Uh, you want those questions not to be brushed at. And as, as Jed was alluding to right there, um, 
you want to be looking for somebody that has a plan and somebody that has something that could be actionable. Um, there are a lot of great organizations uh, around the world in the United States that uh, specifically deal with um, abused people and human trafficking. And none of their animating idea is that there's a secret cabal of evil people we have to stop <laughs> from being evil. Yeah. And that will solve human trafficking. Because if you actually understand human trafficking, uh, there's there's socioeconomic things, there's criminal, there's uh, logistics issues, there's a lot of that. There's obviously, obviously, human trafficking is an evil and immoral thing. And that may be why we want to stop it. But defeating evil is not how nope. the International Justice Mission pitches that they're going to stop human trafficking. Yeah. So it's what someone wants is for you to come to a rally and feel a bunch of emotions. That's not a thing. And here, here's the other thing about this, uh, specific to this, because I did, um, I saw a video clip, a news clip of a, a one of these hashtags, Save the Children rallies. It was in uh, Southern California, I believe. And uh, so it was, again, advertised as hashtag Save the Children and anti-human trafficking and all, the, all that, and it's lovely. And people showed up, and one of the things they started yelling about is about how even if, there's a, even if they develop a COVID vaccine, I want you all to pledge not to take it because that's how the same evil cabal that hurts the children wants to control you. So uh-huh. that's a bit of a turn. Okay. But here's the thing. If, if you were there and if you had, you'd come to a Save the Children thing and it took that nasty turn, there's a great freedom in this phrase, which we've referenced her a couple times last episode. We referenced her last episode. This is another great one from our friend. Uh, Tosh and her her husband Pete Lawson. You have to be able to say to yourself, "I got got." Mm. There's great freedom in admitting I showed up to a thing and I thought it was about human trafficking, which I am against, and it turned out to be about a bunch of whole other crazy nonsense. And it turns out I got got. Like I don't have to wade through this, and it's not a thing, and I'm not already have sunk cost in it. Just whoops, thought this wasn't crazy. It is crazy. Got got. I'm gonna go now. Moving on. Like, and yeah. that ties directly back into to Lee's thing about, you know, um, trusting your instincts because you probably don't know the ins and outs of international hum, uh, human trafficking. I hope you don't. If you're not, you know, someone who has to deal with that for their for fighting that for their job, there's a lot of, you know, and really bad stuff there. But you don't have to entertain the idea that maybe Tom Hanks was tried at Guantanamo Bay and executed. And has been a body double again? Matt, give me all your money and we'll tunnel down to the Illuminati's secret lair. Yeah, again, a real thing that QAnon Twitter accounts with hundreds of thousands of followers have put out there. You don't have to say, well, I mean, I don't know. I, I put on pants and came down here. I might as well hear him out. <laughs> don't hear him out. You got caught. Go home. And, the, and you don't need to judge yourself for getting got because one of the things that people who pull this stuff be that uh, people who have a bogus charity study the way that real charities work and That's they right. ape that people who are throwing a bogus rally, look at something the way that a, a well-run uh, black lives matter rally or something would do things. They use those buzzwords. They use those techniques to try to get you there. Cause the idea is if you get your foot in the door, then you are somewhat incentivized. Cause there's that human sunk cost fallacy thing. We all have that. I'm already here. And then I can, they can get their hooks in a little bit. And there's a great freedom in saying, oh, I've misjudged this terribly. I'm going now. Feel free yeah. to exercise that. We're going to jump to our final question here. It comes in anonymously and says, I'm confused by original sin. I know I'm not supposed to feel guilty and shameful all the time, but if everything about me is inherently evil and corrupt, like people say, wouldn't it make sense to feel guilty and shamed all the time? And uh, mm. again, another honest question, some great stuff. And uh, Lee, where would we kick this off? I, I love this question. And I'm with you. Um, there's, a, there's a whole lot in the, the way that doctrine is painted that just makes everybody feel like crap. Um, I would suggest another side to this. Um, the, the heart of the idea of original sin is that everybody needs to be saved. Um, I think the way that that's often painted for us is everyone is totally awful. Every instinct you have is terrible. Well, that's not really true. 
Every instinct you have is not terrible. Everything about you is not totally awful. There's a lot of beauty in there too. There's a lot of desire for something higher. There's some there's a lot of there's a lot of good mixed into that. There's there's a there's a lot of there's a needle pointing toward what is right and holy, and that's the Lord at work in your life. I would say that the doctrine of original sin, if it's looked at correctly, it's not something that makes me feel terrible about myself. It's something that allows me to relax about myself. It's something that allows me to say, you know what? Um, if the Son of God had to come and and spill his blood and die for everybody because everybody's screwed up, like everybody's a train wreck, I'm one of those people, then that is something that allows me to give myself some grace and patience. Um, it gives me the freedom and the permission to radically accept myself, um, radically accept the fact that I am someone that is loved in spite of the fact that I'm not perfect. And that's really good news. Um, I think that there's a lens in which folks who are brought up in church were kind of forced to look at themselves through. The lens is you'll never measure up. Um, and I would say that an adjustment to that viewpoint is the lens you are radically loved and there is a very patient God who's at work in your life. I want to I want to point you to a verse. Uh, this comes from Psalm twenty five, and I think this is really cool. The psalmist, who in this instance happens to be David, who had a lot of sins, says, "Do not remember the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. I, I had them, and I, I have rebellious ways and sins in my past." And then he says, according to your love, remember me, for you, O Lord, are good. And I think the really cool thing to attach onto in this, in this verse is that, that that is the way the Lord thinks about you. He thinks about you through the lens of his love for you, through the lens of his work in your life, through the lens of his patience, through the lens of his grace, through the lens of the good news of the gospel of Jesus. So, um, the doctrine of original sin, like the idea that like um, I should feel terrible about myself. No, I, I should feel patient with myself. I should feel like it makes sense that I struggle. It makes sense that I fall sometimes. It makes sense that I'm I'm tempted. It makes sense that um, that sometimes I'm I'm weak and and I have been faithless or whatever the thing is. All of that makes sense, and that the Lord remembers me through the lens of his love for me, and he has great patience for me, and he is at work, and that, the, all of that truth wrapped up to, together should give me the freedom to relax. And by the way, I say this not, as a, not just as a person who looks at myself in the mirror, but as a person who has children. And I want to bring that up as a point um, to say... This is the way that I want to walk through life thinking about my own kids because they've got stuff and I want to look at them as someone uh, who is in the Lord's hands and I want to treat them with the same patience and radical acceptance and love that the Lord has treated me with, that my spouse treats me with, that my friends treat me with. Um, because, yeah, I'm, I'm on my own. I've I've been a train wreck and I've got a lot of problems. I got a lot of stuff I'm working on. But the Lord remembers me through his love and through his patience. And this doctrine, this element of theology actually gives me the ability to relax and calm down and view myself with a lot of radical acceptance. That is an excellent excellent place to start that off and Jed, where would we close this out? I love everything Lee said, and I think you being able to relax is the exact right thing. And I, I think to, to get there, we are going to need some balance. Um, so let's let's kind of consider the the opposite side of this for a second. Um, we talked about this on the podcast semi recently that you know, depending on where you hang out online, 
there's there's kind of a culture, and, and this is something that is born of compassion and kindness. It, it comes from a good place, but there's there's kind of a culture that, that wants to say there is nothing wrong with you, and there never could be anything wrong with you, and no matter what occurs to you in all things, it's probably just right and perfect, and you should never change anything about yourself no matter what. <laughs> Um, you know, uh, uh, we, we spent a lot of time on Tumblr and there was, there was definitely a, a certain strain of that floating around, which again, to be clear, that's something that, that comes from a place of wanting to be compassionate towards people and wanting to be kind towards people. But it doesn't exactly work because I'm not crazy about every little thing that I think, say, and do. Um, and I, I doubt that you are in your own life and Almost certainly we all have room for improvement in something. I mean, you know, it, it would, it would be weird if we truly literally thought you are absolutely perfect exactly the way that you are. Yeah. Cause I mean, any deviation from the way you are right now then would be, you're getting worse. So it's, <laughs> you know, that, that, that just doesn't work very well. So, so the idea that you or I are absolutely perfect in every way and flawless, I mean, again, I, I think that a lot of that comes from a place of compassion and kindness, which is very cool, but it's just not a terribly functional thought, and it's one we kind of know isn't exactly true either. So we got that on, on one extreme – and then on the other extreme, we have the super hardcore total depravity of man, and we're all – we're wicked and we're worthless, bro, and I'm way more reformed than you are, man. <laughs> and here, here's the interesting thing about that is the people I know who – would the most and the loudest tell you how much they believe in the total depravity of man rarely ever think they're wrong about anything. Mm. Which is a funny coincidence. That's bizarre. Right? You you purport to hold a belief that every part of you is wrong about everything all the time, and yet you seem almost incapable of thinking that you specifically could be wrong about anything. And kind of the, the proof in the pudding on that is, and this is true for all four of, of the hosts on this podcast, when people, when, when stuff really goes poorly in their life and, and the excrement hits the ceiling fan, we tend to get the phone calls in those moments. And the thing that we hear, I think, probably the most from people that are super hardcore in their theology is, how could I have done this? Mm. I am just, I'm so surprised. I, I would never have thought that I, a person such as myself, could have done a bad thing like this. Dude, that's such a, I mean, it's it's like... The parable in in Luke eighteen of the you know the the tax collector and the the Pharisee, it's like how can you miss it? It's so clear that yeah. that's where you're sitting, right? Right. So we say all that to say that you know the thinking everything you do is perfect kind of just doesn't really work, but the thinking that you're you're the most depraved and whatnot that doesn't work either. That does that just doesn't go anywhere. So to get that peace and that relaxation that Lee described, which is absolutely the thing we want for you, we believe it's the thing God wants for you. God brings up peace a lot as a thing that he wants his children to have. We need balance. And so I want to suggest to you a very, very simple thought where we can kind of set aside, you know, a lot of scary sounding theology for a little bit and just say this. Not every thought I have will get me where I want to go. Hmm. That's it. Not every thought I have will get me where I want to go. There's a life that God wants for me and a life that I want for me, and we're trying to figure out how to how to overlap those, how to live those together. And not every instinct that I have, not every thought I have, not every idea I have will actually get me in the direction that I want to go and that God wants me to go. Therefore, I need outside advice. I need direction from the Lord. I need wisdom from other human beings. I need guidance from people who are farther along in the faith than me, because not every thought I have will get me where I want to go. I think that, A, that is balanced. B, it's extremely biblical. C, it's functional. And D, it's something you can live with. 
That is a belief that takes into account the fact that you are, as I am, as we all are, an imperfect person that doesn't veer off into a weird, unnecessary direction, but that you can actually live with and you can actually deal with with the day that you're in. God does have good things for you. He does not want you to sit around feeling terrible about yourself. That's not Christianity. It's Amen. not theologically true. That's we right. want to get in the motion of taking a hold of the good life that God has for us, doing that one step at a time. That is all excellent stuff. One of the prime ironies of our uh, our friends who Jed describes there, uh, not only are they shocked when they do a naughty thing, but they they super duper reform bro believe in uh, in you know, original sin and total depravity and everything about them is wrong. But they super duper believe their thoughts and opinions and interpretation of the Bible are almost infallible. Huh. Which is a weird two opinions to hold in concert. It's almost like those are mutually contradictory. <laughs> Who could have imagined? And what, the, these guys gave you a lot of great stuff on this. The, the one aspect of this I want to make sure we, I touch on before we get out of here is the fact that like so many uh, points of theology, um, original sin really gets weaponized against people mm. to make the point of much like these reform, the reform bros we're talking about who become reform pastor bros, which is one of the, it's kind of the second Pokemon evolution of the, <laughs> the reform bro, is that idea of you say, well, I disagree with that thing. And they say, of course you do. Your nature is fallen. Oh, how could you burn. understand the ways? Well, of course you want that thing. That's terrible. We will go to, to the scriptures and point out that the, uh, the total depravity thing happened. The, uh, sinful nature and all that original sin happens in uh, the third chapter of this whole book. You may notice that there's a lot of stuff that happens after that, <laughs> which is almost all God dealing with people and giving them uh, thoughts and directions and ideas and guiding them. So this idea that just someone trying to write you off and say, because you have original sin, you cannot have any good ideas or any righteous thoughts or anything that, that leads to a good place. Not only is that, not true. Uh, that's just kind of an absurd overreach on that idea. Um, if that was true, we would just kind of, we wouldn't need any of the Old Testament. We would go straight from Genesis 2 to, uh, you know, uh, the first chapter of Matthew, because that would be the whole thing. And that's that's not how it works. We, we, are, we have a fallen state and a fallen nature, but that doesn't mean God can't uh, give you thoughts and ideas and work in your heart and your mind. He certainly does. And if anyone's telling you that that's not true of you, and Jeffy's great point, of you, and maybe you a little more than other people, that's certainly <laughs> a, a, a misuse and a, and a perversion of the gospel, which is super not cool. <laughs> All right. If you have a question for us, that podcast at gmail.com, thebridgechicago.tumble.com, if you want to keep that totally anonymous. We're going to tell you the song this week. This is from our August edition of Bridgebox. This is our friend John Lewis with a song called Nice. Maybe I'm afraid. A really fun tune. Thank you, take out that. Thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. The Say That Podcast. Sure, we shop at Abercrombie and Fitch, but our oversized cargo shorts and sweater wraps are heavily perfumed with wisdom. <laughs> nice. I, I did one too. The Say That Podcast. Lawrence the Kumquat says, get the Bat King promise ring, the 90s bling to take the zing out of the abstinence thing. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Dude. Maybe I'm afraid to live without anger Maybe I'm afraid to live without pain I'm afraid to give my all to my Savior Maybe I'm just ashamed Maybe I'm just ashamed
can live my life without anger. I embrace a life that lives through the pain. I begin to give my all to the Savior, sufficient in God's grace, sufficient in God's grace. 